Welcome to the Grace Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city and the fame of Jesus. Every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., we gather together at the Malco Theater in Collierville, Tennessee, to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by worshiping God through music, scripture, and a message for our lives. So if you're looking for a church home where you can feel loved and accepted as part of God's family, then come and join us at Grace Hill Church. You can visit our website at gracehill901.com for more information about our services and what we have planned for the upcoming weeks. We look forward to connecting with you. Now here's this week's message. Hey, so we are in week three of this series called Think Differently, and uh, we've kind of subtitled it A Field Guide to Finding Unity in a Divided World. And I just want to thank Randall uh, for teaching last week. Randall's one of our elders. He's a part of our teaching team. Uh, Man, it's just such a blessing to have you here in our church, uh, the way that you care for us in the way of teaching. And so I want to thank you for that. Um, uh, And I really publicly want to thank and recognize all of our elders and our staff team. Uh, They all do such a wonderful job. They carry the weight and the burden and the the the, the vision of this church. Uh, and I want you to know whether uh, maybe they've told you this lately or not, hopefully you felt this, they love you and they care deeply about you. And so uh, if you see one of them, uh, know that they love you and know that they care for you. And I can promise you this, they could use some encouragement as well. So if you see them, thank them uh, for the work and the effort that they do. Um, back, I, I used to lead worship way back in the day. And um, uh, back in about 2007, 2008, there was a song, and you guys who've been around church long enough, you know that you know sometimes there'll be this wave of a song that will come, and it's like it comes out of nowhere, and everybody's singing it, and it just becomes sort of an anthem for a church for a season and period of time. Well, there was a song that kind of came out of nowhere in about 2007 and 2008, and the, the, the chorus went something like this. The words were, I believe you're my healer. I believe you're more than enough for me. That was kind of the the anthem of the song. And the story behind it, once the song came out and the song's story made it even more powerful. You see, the author of the song was a guy by the name of Mike Guglielmucci. That's his last name. That's really how to pronounce it. Mike Guglielmucci. And he was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. And his story goes that when he got home from the doctor, he was weeping, he was so broken over this, and he didn't know what else to do. And so he went into his studio and he sat down at the keyboard and he just began to write this song, I believe you're my healer. There's nothing that's impossible for you. He said he was thinking about his wife and his kids and just everything that was going to be left behind with this incurable cancer. And, And Hillsong heard the song and they picked it up and they brought him out for a live recording and he he came out with his oxygen tank and he led the song and halfway through it, he, he kind of had to stop because he ran out of breath. And I mean, people were worshiping and moved by the song and I heard it and I started le- leading it on Sunday mornings. And man, it was one of those songs where by the time you get to the second course, the first time everybody's in on it and they're lifting their hands. Here was the problem. It was all fake. Every bit of it. He wasn't diagnosed with cancer. It wasn't incurable. Even the story of how the song became the song wasn't accurate. What was actually going on in Mike Guglielmucci's life, and you can Google this, this is very well known. I'm not, you know, throwing shade at him or anything, but what was actually going on in his life was a deep, deep, deep addiction to porn. 
to the point to where it had literally made him physically sick with this deep addiction to porn. And he wrote this song, Healer, as sort of a way of expressing his kind of a cry of his heart that he needed to be healed from this addiction. But he didn't feel like he could be honest with it, so he faked for months on end. Even his wife said, you would have thought he had cancer. He faked it so well. You see, his message was right. Any of us who have been in a season of of prayer where we need healing for our own lives and for a loved one, we would, would echo the anthem of that song, I believe you're my healer. There's nothing that's impossible for you, God. We would echo that. We would rally around that. See, Mike Guglielmucci's message was right, but his motives were way off. And Paul here in the first chapter of Philippians, as he's writing a letter to this group of people, uh, kind of is confronting something similar. Now, it wasn't a worldwide song that churches all over began to sing, and then the story kind of became a scandal, and the guy got, you know, I don't think he actually got arrested, but he, he, he certainly had some legal issues uh, through all of it. Paul wasn't necessarily dealing with that, but it was a similar problem where there was a group of people who had kind of come out uh, against Paul, and their message was, was right, but their methods were completely wrong. So I want to challenge us today because I think this is the same thing that Paul is trying to challenge his listeners in this text because no doubt this church in Philippi was super confused by this. How could Paul, kind of in a way, sort of their their pastor, their shepherd, their leader, in many ways, probably their their spiritual hero, um, he's arrested and in prison, and now all of these people uh, have started saying things about Paul, and their message that they're preaching of the gospel is is true, it's it's accurate, but but there's all this conflict and confrontation that's happening, and and so maybe people begin to doubt, maybe maybe they begin to doubt Paul's message. Maybe they begin to doubt the gospel themselves because how could you have this beautiful message of the gospel and conflict and adversity be in the midst of that? So what I want to do today is I want, us to, to, I want to challenge us to think differently about how setbacks and adversity can actually be moments in our lives and in our church that can propel the growth of the gospel. Rather than us seeing these things as obstacles, let's recognize them for what they potentially are, is that they are actually pathways to progress for the kingdom. They're actually pathways to progress for the the sake of the gospel, that setbacks and adversity do not hinder, limit, or prohibit the power of the message of the gospel going forward. And so what we do here at Grace Hill is we stand for the reading of God's word. So we're going to read this text, and then I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of break it down for us. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. It's going to be on the screen, so if you don't have a copy of that, uh, you can follow along uh, on the screen if you want to. And this is what Paul writes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. 
but, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from a point of pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. But not only that, I also will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you got a handout when you walked in, uh, I would love for you to track along with me and take notes. There's a spot there in the bottom that says sermon notes, and you can uh, track with me uh, as we journey through today. Uh, and the first thing that I want to call our attention to in this text, the first point here is this, is that setbacks are often opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. That's what Paul is trying to communicate in the first part of this text, that setbacks are often uh, opportunities for the advancement of of the gospel. And, and what we need to do is we need to start uh, with, with defining a term first. Uh, we need to start with understanding, getting a, a quick glimpse at what Paul means by the gospel. And, and he writes in the book of Colossians, in his letter uh, we call Colossians, he writes in there a kind of a quick summary, I think, that gives us a snapshot that looks at the gospel. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, that's Jesus. And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood, through, uh, peace through the blood of his cross. The word gospel in the New Testament, when we see it, is the Greek word euangelion. That's how you would say the, the, the word gospel in the Greek. It's euangelion. And you've heard me talk about this if you've been around for a while. It, it's actually a military term that the, the early church and early church writers uh, kind of imparted. They just adopted this word. It's a military term that actually means good news. Sometimes in your English translation, you'll see the word gospel translated as good news. You see, every king had um, uh, good news or gospel. So a conquering king would come, they would take over a land, and they would have a euangelion, a good news or a gospel that they would go about proclaiming. And the gospel of Jesus was powerful, but it was powerful in a counter-powerful way, a counter-cultural way to the way of Rome and the world. You see, Jesus's gospel, Jesus's euangelion, uh, conquered and triumphed, not through military force and advancement, not through power, but humility, through being a suffering servant, dying and then rising from the dead. And he put an end to the separation. It's what that Colossians text talks about. He put an end to the separation between God and humanity. And through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, he inaugurated a new kingdom and brought about it his euangelion, his good news, which was now a new ethic of how we are to live on this earth. This, in summary, in short, was the message of the gospel, the good news, the euangelion 
of our king, King Jesus. And some, I'm sure, and if you were to look at this uh, uh, even in 2023, you would look at this and maybe be tempted to think that this was a setback to the gospel. Here's Paul, their leader, their shepherd, their church planter, the one who started this whole thing here in Philippi, and he's in a Roman prison. But Paul was thinking differently. This wasn't a setback. Paul simply viewed this as a set up for the power of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus to advance out into this community and ultimately in the world. And Paul is so confident of this. He is so confident that this is not a setback, but actually a setup. He uses a term here and it's translated here in this as progress. And in other translations, it's translated as the word advance. And this term, and I love this, this term means this, to move forward in spite of an obstruction or stumbling block. The gospel is advancing in spite of Paul's imprisonment. The gospel is advancing, as we're going to see here in just a minute. The gospel is advancing despite people in this church community preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. The gospel is progressing or advancing. And you say, well, what was practically, what was this progress? Well, he gives us a couple of pictures here. He says, first, he says that everyone in the prison has now found out about the message of the gospel. He says it here, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And this is huge. I mean, all of these, N.T. Wright says this. He says, these soldiers were used to, of course, the gospel of Caesar, the supposed good news that a new emperor had taken the throne, bringing, so he claimed, peace and justice to the world. Now, here was someone out of the blue announcing that there was a different gospel, a different euangelion, that Jesus of Nazareth had taken the throne of the world and was summoning every man, woman, and child to bow the knee to him. Having Paul in custody meant they could not ignore this message. You see, Paul did not view his imprisonment as a setback. He simply viewed it as a setup for the gospel. But this also resulted not only in the whole guard and, and everybody here that while around him while he was in imprisonment hearing about the gospel, but it also resulted in boldness. Boldness sprung up from the community that was uh, surrounding Paul, the community of believers. He says this, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Other, another translation uh, translates the word uh, courage to they are emboldened to speak the word of God without fear. In the midst of their leader, Paul, being placed in prison, and this was not, you know, I mean, I, I, none of us would want to be at 201 Poplar, but, but 201 Poplar would look like a vacation compared to a Roman jail. I mean, th this is not easy going, you know, time here. Despite their leader, their pastor, their shepherd, their church planter, their, this disciple of Jesus being in prison, the response that came from this community became one full of courage and emboldened to advance the gospel. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, they saw that Paul had joy in the midst of this trial. 
And they saw that God would take care of Paul in such circumstances. And they saw that God was still using Paul even when he was in prison. And, and this is pretty remarkable because remember kind of the timeline. We talked about this in the first week. If you go to Acts 16, you can see kind of the origination of this church. And what also happens in Acts 16, just after Paul meets Lydia and, and, and begins to start, you know, form this church, what also happens around this same time is Paul and Silas are arrested and what? They're put in jail. And what happens? Well, there's a jailbreak. There's a supernatural jailbreak where Paul and Silas get out of jail. They get out of prison and they, they, they are able to escape that prison in that moment. But yet here, there's no jailbreak. Paul doesn't even mention that he's, he's praying for that to happen. And yet Paul is seeing God do amazing things through him. And through others, the gospel is advancing. It is progressing in spite of the roadblocks, in spite of what could feel like adversity, in spite of what feels like setbacks. You know, 2020 marked a, a difficult time for many um, Christian leaders, many churches, uh, as the pandemic began to spread across America. And, and we began to sort of, you know, as, as we were navigating it, just like everybody else was trying to navigate and, and, and do the things, you know, I, I heard from so many Christian leaders so much fear, you know, so much fear of, you know, oh, what's this going to do to our church? And, 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 and they began to kind of push back on some of the restrictions and guidelines and regulations. And I think a lot of that was just rooted uh, in fear. And it was, it was rooted in this idea of, you know, oh, what's going to happen and my heart began to break because I just began to think, man, like, is a, is a pandemic going to stop the gospel? And, and my heart began to break because instead of a lot of the people that were in my circle, and even kind of on the national scale, in, in, instead of leaders being focused on how do we love our neighbor and communicate the gospel in spite of these setbacks, in spite of this adversity, how do we do this? Most of them were just focused on trying to get back in the building. And it just, it rattled my soul. It rattled my spirit because I began to think, where is our confidence? Where does our confidence lie? Where does our confidence rest in? Is it in the power of the gospel or is it in the ability to just gather back like we've always done in a building before? Paul says here, the, the gospel's progressing. It's advancing in spite of the setbacks, in spite of the circumstances. I want us as a church, despite our setbacks or circumstances or adversities that we may face, to continue to, to be postured in a way where we want to see the gospel advance. One of the ways we communicate that is through our vision statement, that we want to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city and the fame of Jesus. And despite what, what obstacles we may face, what circumstances may come our way, I want to see us continue to press forward and use those what could be seen as setbacks, as opportunities to put the confidence that we have on the, of the message of Jesus on full display 
and maybe see it advance in, in our little kind of corner that we've been given responsibility for in the kingdom of God. You, you may think to yourself even this, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of wrestle with this even in my own life. You, you may feel like that we're in a season of setback as a church right now. You, you may look around and go, man, we need a movie theater. You know, the, the lights sometimes are a little dim in here. Sometimes there's trash in the parking lot. You, know, you may say to yourself, you know, Grace Hill Church looks a lot different than some of my friend's church. And what I want to say to you, and I'm saying this to myself right now as well, right now might be the greatest opportunity you and I have to see God do something amazing in our church that we could actually be a part of seeing the advance of the gospel in our community despite what anybody on the outside or inside may look in and say, well, that seems like a setback. It's funny, the mentality kind of in, in and I know it's Bible Belt, it's kind of just this, this, this area. If, if we were meeting in a movie theater in you know, New York City or in California or you know, Pacific Northwest, people would be like, yeah, I mean, that's just what you do. But down here, you know, I get in the conversation with people and I'll share the story of how God led us to sell our building and we're debt free and now we can bless our community and do the things that we really felt for years God was leading us to do and how God provided in the midst of all that. I mean, I'll just kind of run through the story. And almost every time, especially if I'm talking to somebody who's kind of churched in their background, this is the first thing they'll say. So when are you guys going to build? I mean, when are you guys going to buy something? I mean, what are you doing? immediately they would even view the fact that we would meet in a movie theater and gather in a space like this as a setback. And I want to say, God, maybe you've led us to this place because it's a setup. It's a setup to actually see you do something amazing. That our, our minds and mentality wouldn't be so wrapped up in just what takes place in an hour on Sunday morning, but the other 160 plus hours that we have to see the gospel advance in our community, through our homes, and in our neighborhoods, because we're not so wrapped up in a space all the time. Maybe we could see, maybe we could see God do something amazing in our midst. And I want to be clear. I don't view any of what has taken place in our church over the last few years as a setback. I have enough confidence in the gospel. I have enough confidence in the way that God moves that I believe he is leading us up to the edge of an incredible setup to see the power of the gospel displayed in our midst. And I want to invite us all just to lean into that just to lean into that. So you don't have to have confidence in me. I'm not asking you to have confidence in me. I'm not asking you to have confidence in, in Joe or any of our other staff or our elders. I'm not asking you to have confidence in any of that. I'm not even asking you to have confidence in the vision. But I am going to ask you to have confidence in the power of the gospel. That God's led us up to a place, I believe, with all of my heart. He's led us up to a place where we could see God do some incredible things in and through the midst of our church. Let me say this to you in pastoral love, and I'm, I'm holding the mirror up on myself on this. If you think a circumstance in this world, in our church, or in our life has the potential to create some kind of cosmic setback, 
to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus, then may I humbly submit to you that your gospel is too small. You see, the gospel of Jesus is advancing. And I believe as a church, I believe as an, as an individual follower of Jesus, we have a choice to make. We can either sit back and we can either say, oh, well, look at all these setbacks. And that's what the people that Paul's admonishing here, who have been emboldened because of these moments. Paul's looking at, they were looking at the exact same setbacks that some other people might look at. And yet they saw it as a setup to seeing God do something amazing. And so that's what I want to challenge all of us to do. That we would actually look at, at, at our lives. We would look at our circumstances. We would look at, at what's around us and we would say, God, how do you want to use this to put your fame on display? God, how do you want to use this to make much of you in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my church, in our community. God, I don't want to view any of the circumstances in my life as a setback. I just want to view them as a setup to you doing something amazing with the gospel of Jesus. So we see here this, this challenge the setbacks are often opportunities for the advancement of the gospel, but we also see this, and this is real. The controversy with leaders, this is point number two, you can write this down. Controversy with leaders doesn't hinder the progress of the gospel. It, the progress of the gospel transcends controversy, conflict, all of that. Listen to what Paul writes here, Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me, I love that he says it, thinking they're causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. You see, Paul's not calling out their, their message here. He's calling out their motives. Elsewhere in Paul's writing, he becomes deeply concerned about the gospel or the message that's being proclaimed. Just, just flip back a few pages to the book of Galatians, and you'll see it right in chapter 1. Some of the harshest language in all of the New Testament is Galatians is in the book of Galatians, but certainly in chapter 1. Paul says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he goes on to basically say that it's with another gospel. So, so there are times where the, the message that is being proclaimed that Paul is trying to address is off from the message of the true gospel of King Jesus. But that's not what Paul's criticizing here, is he? He's criticizing motives. Their message here is fine. He says they're preaching Christ. It's motives that Paul's highlighting. He says it's from selfish ambition and from a place of envy and strife. And what's sad is these actions, these, these, this envy, strife, selfish ambitions, they're aimed at Paul in some way. And Paul doesn't elaborate on it here, but they're aimed at Paul to try to cause trouble for him, he says, while he's in imprisonment. 
And one commentator, uh, uh, Linda Belville, says, says this. Rivalry is sometimes translated strife. And, and this is important. However, the type of strife referred to by the Greek term eris is frequently verbal. For example, saying bad things about one another or never having a good word to say. She goes on and she says this. She believes that it's rumors, that, that this people, these people are causing, they're stirring up strife with rumors they're saying about Paul. Listen to this. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink into one's heart. This is Proverbs 18.8. Uh, they have destroyed more people, stained more reputations, broken more friendships, and split more uh, churches than any other sin I've experienced. Rumors are swiftly told, quickly heard, rapidly spread, and worst of all, are readily believed. And to me, this is, this is what differentiates this moment where Paul is calling out these, these motives, it differentiates a little bit of what Paul's calling out here uh, versus some of the recent failures that we've seen in, in very public Christian leaders. See, Paul isn't dealing with a legal issue here where someone's broken the law. He isn't dealing with a situation that a church leader by their uh, advice or counsel has put someone in harm's way. Paul isn't dealing with a moral issue of sexual immorality or abuse here. Paul is speaking to an issue of character that involves a group of people's motives for why they are preaching the gospel. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. People, what, what I think we can kind of take from this and learn from this is this. People, even Christian leaders, are going to be people. It's incredibly disappointing. It's often heartbreaking. But people, even Christian leaders, are going to be people. Now, hear me very, very clearly. This is in no way, this is a zero excuse for behavior that is counter to the way of Jesus. Those who find themselves in Christian leadership, James 3, 1 says they will incur a stricter judgment. Uh, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, Do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers, since you know that we who are teachers will incur a stricter judgment. Those wolves in sheep's clothing, those who abuse people, those who take advantage of their congregation and the flock that they lead, they will incur a stricter judgment. Paul is not specifically talking about those extreme examples in this text. But what I want us to hold in tension of this morning is this, is the tension of the message and the motives. And here's what I want to say to you is Paul was living through that. Paul had discipled these people. Paul had spent time with these people. There is no other letter that we have of Paul's writing that expresses more love and gratitude and thanksgiving and friendship and familiar. He starts this whole letter off with brothers and sisters, a familiar term in the Greek. He loves these people deeply. And even Paul was dealing with this kind of Tension and controversy, not over the message, but over the motives of Christian leaders in this community. Paul was living through that. It's a tough pill to swallow, but why would we not expect to live through it in our church experiences as well? 
They had Paul. And there were still many who were preaching the message of Jesus with false motives. And still, and still, and still the gospel was advancing. So here's a, here's a little heart check that I want to just kind of put out there, humbly put out there for all of us today. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're preaching some message to the people around you. You, you may not use the words. You may not stand up in front of a group of people like this and, and preach in a movie theater in this type of setting. Uh, you, you may never do that, but your life is preaching a message. You are doing something for Jesus in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. So a little bit of the mirror that I want to hold up for us today, and especially as we think about our church um, leaning into and trying to become a community of grace and peace, the challenge for us today is this, is that we should all analyze our motives for why we do what we do for Jesus. You see, as we lean into that vision, bringing unchecked selfish motives into our church family can cause some serious division. Selfish ambition will break unity because it puts love for self in the middle versus love for others. We should all just kind of sit with that and analyze our motives for why we do what we do for Jesus. We are going through, I'm leading on Wednesday nights, a, an online course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And one of the kind of core tenets of the, um, of the class, of the course, is uh, this exercise that we do. Uh, it's called the daily office or the daily rule is, is what it is. And it's just a, 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 a set aside time twice a day that we take five minutes, 10 minutes, sometimes it's longer, but, but, but a few minutes and just, and just be with Jesus. And, and more often than not, the laser gets kind of shy as you're going through this, the laser gets shined in on your heart. And I've been going through this. I'm a little ahead of the rest of the course because I wanted to, the participants, because I wanted to learn it and, and walk through it and know how to lead it. So I'm a little further ahead than the rest of them are, but, but time over time, I've, I've had to wrestle with this of, of analyzing my motives for why I do what I do for Jesus. Maybe some of you, and I just want to park here for a minute, maybe some of you, you, you come to church and you participate in church life because you think that somehow or another Jesus is going to love you more. Maybe you serve on a Sunday in kids ministry or set up takedown or uh, whatever it may be. You, you serve in those environments because you, you feel guilt and shame uh, for something in your life. And somehow or another you think that, that that might cause Jesus to forgive you or love you more. Uh, some of you may have decided that you wanted to follow Jesus just because you saw it as, a, as an escape plan to eternity. And you said, well, I'm going to consider my options, you know, heaven or eternity apart from Jesus, and heaven sounds better to me, so I'll go that way. It's important for us to all sort of pause and stop and say, Lord, is, is there any selfish ambition in my life? Is there, is there any envy in my life about why I do things? And, and I, look, listen, man, I'd, I'd pull up a chair right now and just sit and just say, man, as a pastor... 
You want to talk about the sin of envy? It is something that has confronted me almost on a daily basis. I see the other pastors posts that they make on social media that get tons of traction. I, I see their, their, their worship services that sound and look amazing. I, I have pastor friends of mine that call and talk about year-over-year growth numbers and how they're expanding and launching multi-site campuses and, and, and trying to figure out how to handle all. I mean, you want to talk about envy? Boy, the, the root of envy goes down deep in my life. And it is something that as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor, I have to analyze it pretty often. So, Lord, why, why am I doing what I'm doing for you? Lord, would you shine a spotlight on that and reveal that so that I can confess it, repent of it, and then lead me into the, the, the right way of living from that? Jesus, I want to do what I do for you with a pure heart and pure motives. So in this text, we see that setbacks are often opportunities for the advancement of the gospel, that controversy with leaders doesn't hinder the progress of the gospel. And finally, there's a commitment to the gospel no matter the circumstances or controversy. Starting in verse 18 there, Paul says this, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. These people are saying stuff about Paul and he's going, no, I'm I'm good. Christ is being proclaimed. I'm great. I'm in a Roman jail, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm in shackles. I'm good. But not only that, I will also rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see the the confidence and hope Paul has that is anchored not in his circumstances. It's not anchored in the fact that leaders are saying the right thing and doing the right thing and getting along and preaching Christ from the right motives and the right heart and the right spirit. It's not anchored in any of those temporary setbacks. It's anchored in the hope that he has, the confidence that he has in Jesus and the euangelion of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. See, he is confident in the, in the message and power of Christ. But he is also confident that this church is praying for him. And, and I want to I speak to this for a minute. We have a prayer team here at Grace Hill that wants to pray for you. And you can get three people together in a space, and somebody in that three-person space needs prayer. And I just want to challenge you this morning that, that if, if you need prayer in your life for anything, for any reason at all, let our prayer team come around you and pray for you and serve you and love you in that way. I, I want to make a plea that, 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 
that you would all take the step to say, hey, I want to I be in a community group. I, I want to make sure there's a community of people around me, rallying around me, that when I go through tough times, there's people there to love me and care for me. We, we're seeing that happen with our uh, Wednesday night course, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. We're seeing that happen on Fridays with the women's study that's meeting up at the office every week. Do you have people in your life that are praying for you? Just like Paul, your confidence can be bolstered because you've got people standing behind you praying for you. Don't miss out on that in your life. Paul is also confident in the spirit and the provision of Christ. And he's confident that in, in all his commitment and loyalty to Jesus, it will not bring him shame. He knows no matter what people say about him, no matter people's motives as they preach the gospel of Jesus, that his confidence that he has and his loyalty to Jesus will not bring him shame. And he is confident that no matter what setback he may face in his life, that Christ will be exalted. He even takes it to the point to where he says the setback of death, Christ will still be exalted in my life. It's like our vision we have here as a church, the very end of it, it says that we want to be for the fame of Jesus. It's, just, it's almost what Paul is saying here, that, that whether I live or whether I die, Christ is going to be exalted in my life. You see, Paul wasn't concerned about the rumors that were being started uh, about him. He wasn't uh, really that concerned about the people that were starting them. As we're going to see in chapter 3, Paul really knew who he was, and he knew what Christ had done in his life. Paul's focus, his celebration, was that King Jesus was preached, and that King Jesus would be made known in and through his life. Janine K. Brown says this, in God's story, the good news of life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus has changed everything. And getting the word out about Jesus the Messiah is more important than whether petty rivalries exist among some of those who are spreading the good news. Paul did not view his temporary circumstances as setbacks. He viewed them as setups. So how do we respond to this? What's, what's, our, what's our posture? How do, we, how do we respond in this moment? Well, I think N.T. Wright gives us a really good picture here that I think is kind of where we just land for the morning. He says this. We need to learn from Paul the art of seeing God's purposes working out through problems and difficulties. That's really tough for us Americans, too, because to, to, we want to live lives of, of convenience and comfort. I, I took Cody um, yesterday morning. He got a $10 gift card a couple of weeks ago from somebody, and he, he wanted to take Dad to breakfast. And, of course, he has no concept of money whatsoever. And, and you know, he didn't realize that $10 at Chick-fil-A wasn't going to get us very far. But, but he wanted to take Dad to breakfast. So we got up early yesterday morning. We rolled into Chick-fil-A. He was going to get a haircut after that because he had to look sharp and cool and all the things he wants. And so we roll into Chick-fil-A, busting at the seams. And I began to notice something is that the people that were standing in line were not standing in line to eat in the restaurant. You know who they were? They were dashers. 
We as Americans are willing to pay 50% more for our chicken biscuits so we don't have to drive down the street in our nice comfortable car and get our Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit ourselves. We're going to pay somebody else to do that for us. We, we as Americans are so kind of conformed in many ways to thinking that, that, that difficulties and problems are, are these major roadblocks, they're these major setbacks. And God, why would you bring this into my life? Why would I have to go through this right now? And we need to learn, as N.T. Wright says, we need to learn from Paul the art of seeing God's purposes working out through problems and difficulties. I've got some friends in this church, in this room right now, that walked an unimaginable road last year. Hardest days I pray they will ever face in their life. And yet, through that, the gospel advanced. The gospel was proclaimed. The gospel moved forward. The gospel progressed in their lives, in their families, in their community, in this church. Because I believe they had learned the art of seeing God's purposes working out through problems and difficulties. We need to learn from Paul the art of seeing God's purposes. (laughs) We could stop right there, couldn't we? we? We need to learn the art of seeing God's purposes, but certainly see them work out through problems and difficulties in your life. Let's begin to think differently about these areas in our life. Let's begin to think differently about these areas in our family. I'm, I'm not diminishing the difficulties. I'm not diminishing the trials. I'm not diminishing the pain. I'm not diminishing the suffering sometimes that we can incur. I think Paul would would never advocate for that. It's real. Pain and sorrow and hurt is real. But we have a choice to make, to think differently about them and to see God work And his purposes work out through those problems and difficulties or just simply view them as setbacks. And what I want for you, what I want for you in your life is to have enough confidence in the gospel, the euangelion of King Jesus, that you would say, Jesus, I don't understand why I'm in this prison. I'm I'm in this trial. I'm going through this journey. I'm feeling this pain. I've got this suffering. God, I don't understand it but I want to see your purposes. I want to see your plan in the midst of it all. So the way I I want to close today is two two ways. One is I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Because see, if if your highest level in your life is simply comfort and convenience, then your kingdom gets destroyed the moment inconvenience comes in. But if your highest aim in life is to follow Jesus and to make him known in and through your life, 
then when the trials and the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the disappointment and the tears and the weeping and the mourning and the grief and the sorrow and the trouble comes, you have the ability to say, Lord, I want to see your purpose working through this pain. Lord, I don't, I don't want to view this pain, these trials, this suffering as a setback. Lord, I want to view it as a setup for you to do something amazing. And that's the invitation of Jesus, that he went to the cross. He, he died on the cross. He endured an incredible amount of pain. What most people would have looked at and gone, this is an incredible setback. All of the disciples left. They were all like, man, I don't know about this dude. We've been following him for three years. I'm not for sure. He just died. And it was nothing more than a setup. Because three days later, he came out of that tomb triumphant with the keys of death in his hand, inaugurating a new kingdom and a new kingdom ethic that would come with it, uh, setting, setting the ability for us to now be made right with God because of his sacrifice on the cross seeing God's purpose work through King Jesus to bring about salvation for those in the world. And that's the invitation that I want to call you to today if you've never said, hey, I want to follow Jesus. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Jesus we follow. That's the Jesus we serve. And you just simply say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't just want to live for comfort and convenience. I want to live for you. 